You're listening to Traumedy, the podcast that helps you transmute your trauma with comedy. It's therapeutic humor. I'm Nancy Norton. I'm a comedian, a registered nurse, and a keynote speaker. As many of you know, I got out of nursing for the same reason a lot of people got into it, to save lives. It's better this way, folks. I love to heal with humor now. I go around and share the good news about humor, how it will help you move out of a state of overwhelm and into a state of manageability. Also, it's so great for creative problem solving, health, and all kinds of other benefits. This is peer-to-peer sharing. I love having guests on. I learn something every episode, and I hear from you, the listeners, who are also learning and offering to be a guest and share your wisdom. This is how we grow exponentially when we share wisdom with each other. This week's episode involves some sad pet stories. Why am I laughing? I am an animal rights activist. I really care about animals. And then, so there, I guess there's just a couple of sad things about animals. And if, uh, if you can't hear that, then you might want to skip this episode. Although uh, we have a very special guest who is a veterinarian and there's a lot of good things here too. So I just wanted to give you a little trigger warning. I don't know what it is like with me, animals, I just can't stand it. Uh, I can't stand any any kind of sad stories about animals. <laughs> That's not a good promo for my own podcast. <laughs> You're not going to like this one. <laughs> You're going to be sad. I don't know. I think that that's just, I have a, I think there's just something to me. I can watch, I hate to say it, but I can watch murder mysteries and stuff. But if there's any hint that an animal is going to struggle or suffer, no, I cannot watch it. Okay. I I got to look at that. I don't know what that's about. I do know what it's about. It's just they're so innocent. Animals are completely innocent, like little babies. I can't stand children suffering or animals. I feel like they're in the same category in my heart. Animals and babies are in the same category. Well, that being said, enjoy <laughs> enjoy this episode with a world-famous veterinarian comedian. Welcome to Traumedy. My guest this week is, I think, one of the most requested comedians in maybe the world. I don't know. But definitely in Colorado and all over the country. You know him from emergency vets. He's an amazing veterinarian. He has a million jokes. I can't believe the writing. Welcome, Dr. Kevin Fitzgerald. Thank you for having me. Thank you for having me. I was trying to think. I've known you a long time, maybe 91. Yeah, that's you know, when I moved here. And you came in from Hawaii and in a nurse still, you know, yeah. and, and just fit in with all the local mutants so, <laughs> so quickly. <laughs> one of us, I, it seemed like immediately she's just, oh I, yeah, she's okay. I, she's one of us. I, you pre, know? I pre-mutated. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and so, you know, all the, the regular people, you know, we're different. You know, we're different. I think Florwax said it best one time. You know, he, he goes, uh, you know, there's something wrong with us. Yeah. And I go, what do, you, what do you mean? There's something wrong with us. And he goes, you know, it was, he, he goes, look at him. And, and I was emceeing and the guy was Midland and, and we were waiting to go on the show. And, and he goes, he's, he's kicking the stall. He's, he wants to get out there. He goes, for most people, public speaking is their biggest fear. Yeah. Like 97% of Americans say their number one fear is public speaking. He goes, he wants to get out there. You see that? He <laughs> yeah. goes, you want to get out there. He goes, it's not normal. There's something wrong with us. He goes, we seek, you know, the, the connection and, and the approval of the audience. And he goes, 
you know, most people are like, you know, who gives a shit what those hundred people think of, you know, of me, you know, and, and yeah. who cares if people walk out or something. But last night, you know, you, you were something, are you walking out? And the guy's just going <laughs> to the bathroom. Like, hey, I got to take a leak. Is that okay with you? I, I, you have, I have abandonment issues. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, I'm in a recovery program for adult children of dysfunctional families. And one of the symptoms is terrified, not just scared, terrified of abandonment. So something happened in early formative years that, you know, I felt abandoned, I guess. Doesn't mean I'm not blaming or shaming my parents. I'm just saying, hey, it's a big family. Are you from a big, big family or? Well, I, I'm from an Irish family in Denver. You know, I just had a brother, but it was a big family. My mother's sister and brother and all those cousins. And my father had brothers and sisters and all those cousins. And so I think I have 25 first cousins in Denver. You know, you bump into somebody, you know, and, and so, are, you know, so it's it, Irish people, you know, there are lots of babies and their social life revolved around each other. So Friday nights, you're always with all these Irish people. And I used to think that, you know, oh, geez, I wish I would have their family. But every family is dysfunctional, really. Yeah. I, I think. I think so, too. You know, yeah. I, I think the biggest thing you can do as you get older is, is you know, forgive your parents, you know, and just. And you're right. I do. I've come to that realization that everyone, including myself, I have to forgive myself because I'm a parent and I've made a lot of mistakes. So it, it, you do see that more easily when you become a parent, like, oh, when I hear my mom's voice coming through. And there is this ancestral trauma that kind of comes through in these weird, twisted survival traits that everyone has. They're doing their best. They're really trying to help you survive, but it felt kind of wounding. So I do know that. Everyone did their best. It's also important to grieve that's one of the big things I'm learning is to really grieve like, okay, that need didn't get met. I need to grieve it, accept it and forgive. So that's a part of it for me anyway. Yeah. And then of course, laugh at it. Cause that's where it really, <laughs> I feel like the empowerment, getting me out of that sense of powerlessness. If I can laugh at my trauma, then I, it's not, it doesn't feel so disempowering. And the stories though, I mean, they were great storytellers. And, and, and so at our place, if you weren't funny, you couldn't get right to the joke, then you're hopeless. No one's going to listen. And my father said, you know, that fucking guy, you know. And, and, uh, and my father would always go, I know this is going somewhere, Fred. You know, <laughs> the guy couldn't tell <laughs> Come on. I know. You know get, Pick up get, the pace. Let's you know. go. But, they were, but you, you wanted, in my family, on Thanksgiving, you couldn't get to the big table. You had to eat at these little card tables, you know. And so I was like 27 working on my PhD and, and with my little cousin and cutting his meat, you know. <laughs> but you wanted to be at the big table and hear the stories. And, you know, the stories got, as it got, the night went on, they got a little bit rowdier and, you know, a little bit bawdier. And, yeah. And, 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 but they, they, you wanted to be able to tell a great story. And the Irish were, were great storytellers. The English took away our language. But we took their language and shoved it down their throat because there's so many great Irish poets and singers and, you know. Beautiful. So, yeah. I mean, I'm saying beautiful, shove it down their throat. But, <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I get that. Like, the, okay, we'll we'll work with what what, <laughs> what, what you have. have. Yeah. Yeah, with all we had left, you know. Yeah. So, so yeah, I, I think, you know. Um, so you may have some of that Irish trauma. I'm sorry to interrupt, but you may have some of that Irish trauma from being, you know, having, you know, under, well, the, the, under the, the British rule. The, the drinking it's for me, you know, I, I think it's, I call it Irish cancer, you know, oh. I, I mean, they, they just, they, they, they couldn't figure out what was holding them back, you know, and they're holding themselves back, you know, with, with their, their, you know, drinking is, is fun. You know, you're 20 and you're, you're starting off and man, you're going with your friends and you're going to the concerts and, you know, you're drinking and you're talking to girls and then 
you're in your 30s, you know, it started to affect a relationship. You know, you're drinking and then you're in your 40s professionally. It's maybe held you back a little. In your 50s, maybe you're starting to get some health things, you know. By the time you're in your 60s, you know, it's so ingrained. You know, I have this friend that's an alcohol counselor. And, and I had another friend that was in his late 60s and trying to get sober. And my buddy told me, he said, it's the hardest thing for these people that are where it's really ingrained, you know, that yeah. such a behavior that, that you know, he yep. goes, I, I do great with a 20 year old. He goes, I, you give me a 20 year old. He goes, I, I, I got him. He goes, these guys come in there, you know, they're 60, 68, 70. He, he goes, it's hard. It's so integrated in the culture and almost like the storytelling and everything else, right? Eating and people with eating disorder. I always feel for people with eating disorders too, because it's such a social thing. And for me too, with my dad, who was English and Irish, and I mean, he was so proud. He went to Ireland and drunk uh, the the town drunk under the table. Like he was, he he thought that was like a victory, you know, and was yeah, able my, to continue to sing Irish songs. My dad was a town drunk, but we lived in New York City. No, oh. <laughs> he took the trophy, man. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Bud Norton. We could have like comparisons or something. But my dad was also a great storyteller and. You know, I think some of that value of humor and storytelling and definitely got imprinted. Yeah. So, my mother was this little woman and, and she drank, but you take her to a party and within about five minutes, everybody's sitting around her and listening to the stories and the fun and, and whatnot, you know. Mm. So, <clears throat> yeah, I think the storytelling is a big part of, 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 it's a big part of comedy. Yeah. Yeah. And that is, I <clears throat> am a... I'm I, like, I, we, we did a show last night and it, I'm, I'm so you impressed. Were great. You were I, great. I had fun. I felt like a connection. And yet, um, I recognize, I mean, it's okay to have different styles. I mean, you have, your act is so dense with jokes, like just so many one-liners. I mean, that's a lot to remember, but, and they're so, they pop, you know, each one just pops. You get the whole audience. And then. Well, the, my, that came from a, uh, I never got on the regular list for years. Troy Baxley and I, we were on the list from, I started in 86, and we finally got on the regular list in 93 or 94. So I went down every Monday night and, and you know, to there or to McKelvey's, and, and yeah. you only had three minutes. Yeah. And you wanted to get as many jokes as you could in. And it's hard being a veterinarian. It's hard. Your, your family thinking about all medical problems. My brothers call me up all the time about their own health issues. My brother comes and I've got a burning sensation when I urinate. So why don't you hold your cigar in the other hand? <laughs> and it's hard. It's hard being better because you know, I mean, the, the different things. We're selling gourmet cat food. <laughs> when do cats become gourmet? <laughs> what kind of gourmet coughs up a hairball after you eat? <laughs> We're selling beef-flavored cat food. Beef. Cats evolved in the Mideast. They never saw a cow. A cow is one of their natural prey objects. Anybody who has a cat knows the flavors. They like rodent, fish, bird, miller moth. Moth seems like Mardi Gras for my They're not beef. I don't give a call this is Texas over at the stockyards. Your damn tabby just knocked another steer down and dragged it People ask you, so someone said, Doctor, do gerbils have individual fingerprints like human beings? Why are you missing some wood chips? 
They're selling black widows in the pet store. They're selling black widows. Come on. You know why she's called the black widow? Because after the male performs his husband-like duties, the female eats him. Eats him, except sometimes. The male is hit. He offers the female a food object, and while she's distracted, he performs his husband-like duties. And that's how Valentine's Day started. <laughs> So I have a one-liner style because that's all I could do. You couldn't tell a story that took three minutes for one punch. Yeah. And it would bam, 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 bam. Here's another one. It's like feeding baby birds. You know, <laughs> yeah. here's, a bunch, here's a bunch of jokes. Now. I like, oh, good. You're doing a, a an animal analogy. <laughs> and I have seen you. You also do tell some longer stories about yeah. helping the animals and, you know, some victories and how did you get called? Let's get to your veterinary calling, because you have you have a lot of callings in this life. You, you we know. all do. Yeah, but this one seems to be a, a obviously a big calling to help animals. Did that start? When did that start for you? Oh, I loved animals always. You know, my grandmother helped raise us. You know, and at her house, we had a turtle. My brother and I, and the McCusker brothers, and so named Sam, and he lived in the kitchen. And we had these, uh, they were the little red-eared sliders that they sold in drugstores, little drugstore turtle. And then they, they took them off the market in 75 because so many kids had salmonella in the United States from them. <laughs> so oh, really? They had a plastic palm tree and these little pink stones and this, this little circular thing, a little thing they could pull out. And so she took care of Sam, and I, I love Sam, you know, and, and, and she came one day at dinner. She goes, you know, I've been talking to Sam, and... and uh, he's decided he doesn't want to live here anymore. He wants to live, she lived across the street from the Denver Zoo. And he, lives, he wants to go to the turtle pond at the zoo and live with the other turtles. Oh. I'd never seen her talk to Sam. I didn't know they talked. You know, I didn't, I was suspicious. I was five, you know. And so she wrapped him up in, she didn't drive. She's a big Irish woman. She wrapped him up in toilet paper and put him in her purse and we sneaked him in the zoo. And there was a turtle pond. She reached across and she dropped him in. You know, and he hit, and the r little ripples went out from him, and, and, and uh, all of a sudden, this big head came up, you know, and these giant jaws, and wham, just took Sam, and I was like, oh, she goes, that wasn't Sam, that wasn't Sam, oh. you know, and I'm like, you know, look, I'm five, but I'm not an idiot, there was a big <laughs> snapping turtle lived at the bottom, and saw oh. this little thing up there, you know, and just, so I, th I think some <laughs> part of me in, in my life has always he wanted to help her to animals, you know. I mean, I did some part of it. Yeah. I was always trying to help Sam, Sam. come back, you know. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm sorry that happened. Yeah. That's, that's that's the name of my book. It started with a turtle. Oh, you know, really? My whole life started. So with So you've that. got a book. You're. I got a book coming. It's it's uh, my life in five parts. It's growing up Irish Catholic, and you know the uh, oh the myths and the superstition. And, you know they they loved animals, but. The cats couldn't come in the house because they would suffocate the babies because oh. they breathe the milk on their breath and s sleep on their face and suffocate the babies. They evil cat. Keep it, get him out of the house. Get that cat out of the house. So uh, the cat would live on the porch, you know. My father would feed it. You know, he had a big cat named Snowball, a big white cat. And he had a big wound on his head. I went to my dad and I go, Dad, Snowball's got something on his head. And he's like, oh, he's got like a special saliva. You know, he'll like lick it and heal it up, you know, and you're like five going, well, you can't lick the top of his head, you know, but yeah. yeah. So there was, there was always animals around and, and, 
And you noticed you had, you were highly observant and you paid attention. Like other, other kids may not have noticed, uh, this anomaly on his head or whatever. There's something about you that attuned. I liked school, you know, and, and I, I had thick glasses, you know, and, and my cousins, you know, were tough guys and, and my brother and, and, you know, they're, they're these big guys, you know, and, and, uh, big, you know, and, and they, they were tough and, and, you know, they're, they're like, uh, you know, I, I just, they, <clears throat> I, I wasn't like them, you know, I, I, and I, I knew early on, you know, I liked, I liked going to the library or, or, you know, and getting books and, and reading and, and, and Nellie, my grandmother was like, you're not like these other boys, you know? And, and, and so they were always, you know, yeah. What's wrong with you? You're, you're, you're a sissy, you know. But, but I wasn't a sissy. You were brains and brawn. Well, I, they, you, they, could, you could do more, you know. It opened up at other pathways, you know, if you yeah. could do different things and not just have it do like a one-note piano you and just thump heads. Yeah, you're versatile, man. Because you know? veterinary school, it's a very competitive thing. I mean, I don't know a lot about it, but I've heard it's harder to get into than med school. Well, there's just, there's fewer of them than medical schools, but I mean, it's, it's difficult. Yeah. It's and not the had, most fun. And, you know, <clears throat> you're a good student. You have a good mind. You've gotten good grades. And then you get up there and everybody's a good student. Everybody's gotten good grades yeah. and they're competitive. You uh-huh. know? And so they, they're just... Raises the bar. Yeah. And you, you just go, and you, you, you know, you're, you're studying as hard as you can and, and you know, you get a B minus and you go, what the hell is wrong with you? <laughs> I, oh my God, my son and I were high five and D's when he graduated high school. So we are the opposite issue. I mean, I was probably a C. If I got a B, I felt pretty good. So you had to like, you have to keep that A to B well, <clears throat> the whole time. The, the sad thing about this country is the value that is put upon grades for young people, I think. And, yeah. and so... What you really find out later is you learn so much out on the street, you know, yeah. to have street smarts and, you know, it's, it's better, you know. So much uh, value is put on, on grades and, and, you know, and, and grades alone to get into schools and stuff and, and it's tough and, and it's, you know, I, I, it, it should be easier, you know, for, for people. But Well, do you, you, that, you know, it's a good question. I, my son, the thing what I noticed about him, because we both have ADHD and it's this completion piece where... Once he learned the information, he, he was satisfied because that's what he wanted. And he's, he's very bright, and he, he got the information. When it was time to submit a paper or the last step, doesn't care. He doesn't care. He's not competitive. And I would say that this will give you more advantages to get more education. I don't know, man. He's just, that's not his thing. He, will go, he is in like community college, but I'm just saying – what do you think about the exclusivity of veterinary? And then I know this is not on our agenda or anything. I was just curious. Like, how do you find, like, somebody like you who, I mean, obviously, I think if you're going to veterinary medicine, you have a heart for animals. But is it always the, because there's an intuitive thing with healing, I've noticed as a healthcare worker. Do you think that grades, that people that get into veterinary college out of just grades, is it always bringing the best vets no, no, I, it, it's sad because people tell me all the time, they say, <clears throat> my daughter is so good with animals and she hates people. She'd be a great veterinarian. But it's not true because you have to love people yeah. because the people pay the freight and they have to trust you. And so, yeah. and you have to connect yeah. and you have to take a history and you have to go, now, wait, what, what did you see with him? What did he do? 
And so my problem is we have 14 young intern doctors at, at our hospital and they're wonderful and they keep us honest and we have to keep learning and to teach them and, and there's new techniques all the time. Yeah, so there's a dovetailing. I've, I've been out 40 years. So, you know, you don't want to just be that old guy that, you know, did it one way. Right. And there, there's new things all Doing the time. Doing the 1980s veterinary yeah, medicine. Yeah. And, and so um, I can teach him medicine and surgery, but I can't teach him people skills. Mm. You know, how, how to deal with the clients, you know. I mean, things, you know, like calling the people back the next day and go, hey, you know, you know, uh, Sophie was was vomiting yesterday. How's she, how's she doing today? You know, and, and if you do that, and people go, and you know that she called me the next day. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's li- this this much little yeah. things. Well, and just feeling heard. I know <clears throat> for me, because my I am, I would say a little pathological. I think I anthropomorphize my pet, and she's a dog. She is not a person, and so I project my stuff onto her. And sometimes when I'm talking to the vet. And I'm talking about Sophie's abandonment issues. I, it's total projection, probably on my part. And the vet has had it with me. She's just like, listen, let's talk about this. Okay. Well, <laughs> it's interesting you brought that up. <laughs> and you brought it up. Yeah. There's been a paradigm shift in this country. Something big has happened while we were asleep. In 1957, the American Veterinary Medical Association did a telephone survey and asked, do you think that your pet is part of the family? And in 1957, 43% of Americans said, oh, yeah, the pet's part of the family. It did the same thing 50 years later in 2007, and 97% of Americans said the pet's part of the family. Yeah. So there's been a change Yeah. people think. From my parents, the Irish immigrants, with the dog that stayed outside and the cat that stayed outside. Right. I mean, we never had dog food. The dog would eat whatever we were eating. You know, my mother, oh, here's a little chicken. You know, here's a chicken neck. Here's, you know. That's so, how it is in Nepal when oh, I was yeah, there. Yeah. The dogs are walking, running the streets. That's right. And if, the, if, a, if a family does have a dog, yeah, they're just getting the scraps off the dinner table. They are yeah. not buying yeah. Purina yeah, yeah. dog and, feed. And they, they don't make gourmet cat foods, you know, and, and <laughs> that market to the people. So yeah. I, I got some st- statistics, you know, in, in 1957, you know, 43% and then 97. Last year, last year we had full uh, records for $136.8 billion was spent on dogs and cats worldwide on dog food. Wow. <laughs> Say that again. Yeah. 136 <laughs> Point eight billion dollars, you know, and and so I, we spend more on pets than we do on the elderly, or, or on breast cancer or prostate cancer, you know. I, I mean, we spend, you know, and, and it, it would happen, you know. My father would get drunk and, and he'd go, Kev, put the hat on the dog again. Virginia, come in here. He's going to do it. He could do it. I could do it fifty times in a row, and he'd laugh every time. Go, Look, do you, do you think he knows he has a hat on? Do you, think he, you think he thinks he looks good with that hat? You know, and and so we do anthropomorphize, and and but I mean, and what do you think about that? Or do you want? Am I interrupting your next point? But what no, do you? No. I'm curious what you think about that, Kevin. Do you think that's a bit of insanity? Uh, globally, or or or, or in, at least in this, I don't know. Do you think that's a healthy thing to do? I'm we, curious. We give them too much credit. Dogs and cats. To, I mean, they certainly are aware of things. Okay, they're <laughs> aware of your moods, and they're aware if you're upset. Yeah. They don't like people that talk loud. They don't like it when you yell at your son or you're fighting with your son. They, they don't like those things. Okay. Yeah. Little Mrs. Thompson, you've seen my little dog. Yeah. You know. She doesn't like if anybody speaks loud, you know, oh, you know, so, so, and, and they're aware, 
they're like, I say they're like Irish people. They don't like any kind of change. They don't like when a new person comes. They don't like when a new person goes. They don't like when an old dog dies and isn't right there anymore. You know, but but do they, you know, this is a great question. A, a friend of mine asked me the other day. He said, should I bring my other dog to watch the other dog be put to sleep so, <laughs> he, so he understands? I'm sorry. I'm not, I don't mean to laugh. But, but so he, he's, he's putting too, no, too much into it. Let him, I, no, I, well. I mean, I don't, I said, you know, it, it, there's no problem if you'd like to do that. It, you know, it's up to you. But. To me, that sounds but, sort of cruel. Like, But it's a little, oh, it's a little. It's uh, like the cows seeing the other ones getting their heads it, cut off. That's why. Yeah, it's a little gruesome. And, what and so, is her name that. That created the spiral. Oh, the the wonderful Temple Grandin. Temple Grandin. Yeah, Dr. But because Temple Grandin. they the t- they would no, release the, uh, all those stress hormones. Yes, yeah, so 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 definitely they they can feel stressed. I just don't know that I think it's. Can we just riff on this for a second? Like just yeah, well, yeah, just yeah. Just, yeah. A, just for a second, no, a little trauma well, on bringing your other pet to watch the other one get put. I mean, is, is that other dog ever going to be comfortable going to the vet again? Like, wait a second. That's where Charlie <laughs> met the yeah. Reaper. I don't but but can, can he understand that? I go to people's houses sometimes if they don't want to do it at work and want to. Yeah, that's so nice. Yeah. And, 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 and sometimes they want to bury him in the yard or whatever and, and help him, you know. Yeah. And I want to be buried I, in the I, yard. Dug right. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah. I want to have enough money for a tombstone so they just bury me with my head out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's Kev right there. That's where he was buried. Yeah. You know, put a fence up around my thing so it, put no, flowers no, in your mouth yeah, so nobody can. Yeah, that, that, his hair still looks good. You know? so, yeah, you do have that iconic look, right? So that's Kev. The mustache. That, that's Kev. The mustache keeps growing <laughs> yeah, after yeah. you're gone. It's good. So, so they wanted to put the dog to sleep at the house, and they wanted all the dog's friends to be there. Friend dogs. Yeah. So, so there were twenty or thirty dogs, and. I don't think they understood. I mean, they're barking and fighting with each other, and they don't really watch what's happening, you know. So we put the dog to sleep, and they had a parade to go by, and the dog was in a posture that was nice and had a ball between his legs, and one of the other dogs grabbed the ball, and he's no, no, that's, that's you know. That's, that's <laughs> Still Jimmy, fighting? That's Jimmy's Fighting ball. with a corpse? <laughs> and another dog peed on him. So, so, so I think we give them too much credit for it. Certainly they're sensitive, and certainly, but I don't think they can understand some things. And and certainly they mourn. Certainly yeah, they so mourn. I, I, and, I you know s- the first few days when things are different, you know, it's it's just. But but things happen too. I had two Scotties that, that I was crazy about, Tosh and Teddy, and Tosh was the cock of the walk. He was so testosterone, and he was the first one to eat, and the first one onto the bed, and the first one to go out the door, and the first one to fight or to bark at a person come come by the house, and and Teddy would lay back. And then Tosh, you know, got older and, and died. And, and Teddy lived for a while after, you know, two or three years after Tosh died. But all of a sudden, in the, in, at first he was a little shocked, you know, what's different, what's different? But after a few weeks, his personality, all of a sudden he was a big guy. Oh, he you know, got his he, time he, to shine. He was like, yeah. I, I bark. He never barked. All of a sudden he barked at people that come to the door. Because or, there was... Or, or he, uh, you know, he, he was a big guy. He had to step so into the role. his personality blossomed into this thing. Yeah. You know, because the other guy had kept him squashed. Yeah. So, so, I mean, I, I think that, that we underestimate him on one hand, but I think sometimes we can give him too much credit too. You know, they told me that dogs don't have a long-term memory. But it's not right. Oh, Be- no. Because my grandmother had a dog, and she, he would do this trick where she would make him walk on his hind legs 
For a treat. To hop on a treat. And then go down to the end of the counter where the where the treats were and make him spin, one spin, and then put him down and give him the treat. So she died. And my mother took the dog. So 12 years later, my mother had kept that house, my grandmother's house, and we were going to paint the house and sell it. So I took him down there. Now, he hadn't been in that house now for 12 years. And he got to that kitchen, and he saw that counter, oh. and he stood up, and he hopped, and he spun. And, and you know, and so maybe it was a learned thing about that counter. But, but he, in, in, yeah, he, the association. He but, but he, he but remembered. He, he remembered that thing. And, 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 he, and Mrs. Thompson, we walk at night around Washington Park yeah. in Denver. Yeah. And there are these big culverts that go into the lake. And so there's three of them, giant, big, you know, drains. And this one night, the second one, there was a huge raccoon that stood up on its back legs and scolded us, you know, and, and she, ooh, you know, and she was scared and ran yeah. to me, yeah. you know, she's on the leash. But, and, and so she barked at it and, you know, I picked her up and she was like, geez, and I think, so we walked. We still walk that, but every time we get to that culvert, she barks she at remembers. it. She But the second one. The, the right one. Where, exactly. You know, so, I mean, she was like, there's where that thing was. Well, I, and this is, okay, so many layers are in here. And I know we may have to have you on as a repeat guest because it's, it's hard for me not to add a story that goes along with this. Well, you know, my dog's a Samoyed. I mean, she's probably got some other stuff mixed in with her. She was running the streets of Raleigh when she was taken into the Humane Society. But the point is, before we adopted her, we read about Samoyeds. And I don't know if you're familiar with the breed. I mean, I know you are. But, I mean, do you know the history of the Samoyed? How they, well, they're named after the people, the, the, um, not the like they were a Siberian nomadic people, the Samoyeds. And that they, the, these animals would go out and cut a reindeer, bring it back to the people to slaughter, and then share it. And then they would sleep around the people's heads at night to keep them warm, the wool. This is symbiotic relationship with animals and then the other thing we read in this little book at the library was that there was a team that took them on uh, as sled dogs to the north pole and their plan was instead of packing all this meat that they would slowly eat the dogs as the meat ran out like this was the plan they thought that the dogs would just eat the meat none of those samoyeds were eat the other dogs and these guys all died they these men all died uh. because of their cruel plan i'm still mad at them but I'm also proud of those Samoyeds for saying, fuck you. But this is, again, yeah. where I, I am. I'm not going to eat Jack. Yeah. He's, my, he's my buddy. Yesterday we were pulling a sled together. You know, he told me all about his, his mean, wife, you know. I mean, maybe I don't know. Maybe some breeds would. I don't know where they got the idea that this was going to work. But maybe it would work with certain dogs. But the other thing is I've watched on certain, you know, National Geographic or whatever that we wouldn't be here without dogs. Like we wouldn't, we evolved only, I mean, we would only survive because of the symbiotic relationship with dogs. Have, have you heard that? I, I haven't heard that. You know, we've had dogs, depends who you read. Ian Dunbar is, is probably the best at that stuff about dog evolution. In that <clears throat> We know now that all the breeds are wolf derived. For a long time, they said, oh, no, they're not. Some of them aren't wolves. The dingoes in Australia aren't wolves, but they are. And so the DNA, so now we have DNA. It goes back since they're all wolf derived. So way back when, you know, Oog, the caveman, his little kid came back and he had a, a, wolf, you know, puppy. a wolf puppy. And, Dad, can we keep him? You know? Yeah. And, and then, you know, and, and so, you know, I mean, I, I wrote a thing about, you know, how much dogs can mean to us, you know, companionship, of course, 
But guide dogs, you know, and hearing dogs, you know, dogs for the uh, people that are challenged visually or hearing wise. Yeah. The therapy dogs for people we, we know in the prison prisons. <clears throat> Canyon City had a great program where somebody that was really fighting a lot of what they let them keep a, a dog and their blood pressure went down and their heart rate went down and a lot of the stress hormones went down. They measured it. Yeah. You know, and, uh, we take care at our hospital, the Aurora and Denver and 14 other jurisdictions police dogs and and so man they have apprehension dogs of course you know for violence but they have dope smelling dogs and bomb smelling dogs they have money dogs that can do big bags of money can't bring in ten thousand dollars more they have dogs for uh uh the detection of uh, electronic parts yeah you know, and some cancers yeah yeah and they w- can and so sniff uh, <clears throat> melanoma i've been helping with a, a thing for melanoma but there's also a great study that's been in California with with a a, a, f- a friend of mine, um, Patty Unger, Doctor Patty Unger, did this thing and, and helped her with her paper and, and she they could smell COVID um, on the uh, sputum, the cough of of people wow. and, and you know and say positive or negative. So, but it, it makes sense because you know a dog sense of smell is a million times better than a person's one one million. So they can smell around corners. And so, I mean, they smell things before they see it. Yeah, and And, it's directional, huh? They can tell, like our ears. Yeah, and and where's that coming from? So, so I mean, they're they're amazing, really. And and um, but but I have other people. I had a professor in med school. He was a horse doctor. He thought that dogs were the biggest parasite. Oh, really? Yeah. He goes, you know, they learned that if they were cute, we would pet them and (laughs) feed them. If they acted cute. So wolves don't wag their tails. Oh, I didn't know that. Only as puppies. I did not know that. So they've kept all these baby things. And, and, you know, neotenic things like a big head is cuter. You know, bigger heads are cuter to people. Oh, interesting. Like a baby. Uh Uh-huh. It's that big face. You know, the head doesn't grow as much in proportion as the body does. And so so they've kept these things to be cute so, so we would feed them. You know, and so, you know, are they, are they parasites? I don't know. He said they were parasites. Well, I, I mean, the what, and this is, again, from like a National Geographic special or one of those, you know, I don't know which one. Maybe I'll try and cite this, but that they protected the people. So it was this, it was a mutual relationship where the people were protected from predators because the dogs were there to sure, protect us. Sure. I don't know. But maybe that's, maybe it is. I mean, you maybe know. on some level we know <clears throat> that making them part of our family makes us healthier, makes us better. Maybe even though it might be incorrect projections like I do, which Sophie has the same abandonment issues I have or Sophie feels the same way I do. She, you know, she has her own spectrum of feelings. Well, I mean, there's biophilia, I, I think. I don't know if that's the right word. I like it, though. But I think. I don't know. What does it mean? We're, we're, <laughs> Before I commit. We're drawn to other forms of life. Biophilia. People, you know, we're, we're, it's essential. You know, E.O. Wilson said biophilia. And, you know, and so, I mean, there's something, there's some need in us that's essential. If we look at the cave drawings, you know, great renditions of these different animals, you know, and it, it, what a lot of them were the animals they ate, you know, deer and, and different hoofstuff that they ate, but dogs, and, and they were great anatomists, you know, and, and so, I mean, they, they paid attention to the animals. But if we look at dogs, you know, they used them as companionship, but they also used them to hunt with yep. or to protect the clan when the other clan came, you know, and, and they used them to work, to pull sleds, and, and to do different things. So, yeah, they, they, they've, they've, they've worn a lot of hats, you know, and, and 
I, I think a lot uh, of hats in that you're in your living room. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> put, Virginia, come in here. You can't do it again. She's coming. Wait, let's talk about let's talk about how you use humor or we. But you know, you're under a lot of stress. These are beloved family members. People are bringing to you to take care of, and you're under. Well, that's right. You know, a lot of pressure. There's elderly people were. You know, the kids are grown up and the spouse has died and, uh, you know, the pet is a giant part of their life and it's a big deal. And, and here's what I wrote, you know, losing a pet, you know, it, it's death and, and it's a mystery, you know, yeah. and it's a loss and it's yeah. painful. And I don't understand death any better now at almost 72 than I did when I was seven and my grandfather died. I mean, yeah. it hurts, you know, and, and we don't understand it, you know, and, yeah. and but it's a part of life and, and it's a natural part of life. So, you know, with, with people with me, I have to put dogs to sleep. And they come in and they're crushed. So I'd love to tell you after 40 years of practice that, you know, I, I can't even believe saying I've been doing it 40 years. But um, that a big percentage of dogs, it's like gentle. And you come home and the angels came and they went gently in their sleep. And, you know, and, but it isn't like that. That happens 5% of the time. I wish that would happen. 95% of the time, their quality of life has eroded to such an extent yeah. that you got to make a choice, you know? Yeah. So I tell people, listen, I say, I'm not going to let you be sad. This is not you doing this dog got this inoperable cancer. You provide this dog a great life. You know, I said, you can't be sad. You you have to in, you com- concentrate and focus on the good years you had. You know, and I tell people three things, you know, I say, when, when will I know? When will I know to put him to sleep? I think there's three A's. There's attitude. Is he demented is he confused does he know where he is sometimes they're so bad you know they told me when i got out of school that dogs didn't get alzheimer's or didn't get you know confused and yet and, and and you know but they they do get changes in the brain mm-hmm. they used to call it when we were little hardening of the arteries remember and, and, yeah. and so now now we know that there's changes in cholesterol and things being laid down in the brain so it's not getting perfused with blood so the only dog stands in the corner and doesn't know you know, and, 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 and so they're, they're horribly confused. So attitude and appetite, a dog that doesn't eat, there's something wrong. You know, mm-hmm. they, they eat, they're good, yeah. e- they're good eaters. Yeah. People tell me, oh, dogs are persnickety. No, they're not, <laughs> you know. And, and, and so a dog that doesn't eat, there's something wrong. And, and then the, the last part is activity. Can he get up on his own? Is he laying in his own tinkle? You know, I mean, can he, can he move or his legs working, you know? Can, yeah. in, I'm putting, I'm, I'm assessing myself as you say all this. I'm yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> so, so I tell people, you know, make a mental tally sheet of pluses and minuses. And when the minuses undo, you know, outweigh the pluses. And, and how much nursing care are you doing? And, and it, how it, much it, nursing care are you willing to do? Are you willing? Some, some that, people will do everything. Other yeah. people go, you know, he's being on the carpet. He's got to go. It's such, it's an equation that is so personal. And I can't it, tell it's, them. It's interactive. No, you really can't. And the only thing I can and, do is well, they, they come to me and they want to put us to sleep because he doesn't match the furniture <laughs> and he sheds too much. Or they're getting divorced and he'd rather be dead uh, than live with another family. I go, you know, I think if he could talk, he'd tell you something different. Right. You know? I mean, ethically, you have an obligation. I'm a voice for the voiceless. So I would definitely be like, no, you just because you need to, you need to relinquish the pet to the Humane Society because some people do like to adopt older dogs. I adopted an 11-year-old Weimariner. Uh, what does this say? I speak for those who have no voice. Be- that's on your keychain. <laughs> Thank you, Kevin. I, I'm duty-bound to try, and, and it, it, it's hard because do I represent the client who's paying the money or do I represent the patient who's the animal? 
Yeah. And sometimes their their needs are are very you know they are very different you know right. And so so you know their 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 intentions or goals are are really different. The dog you know. No, I'm not that bad. I don't think I should go. To sleep. You know, you know. <laughs> and then the I, I pee in the cupboard. I'm demented, but you know, and I got bed sores, and I got you know, I mean, got you know, I got maggots from the bed sores, or I got urine scald, or I got you know, and I I haven't eaten, and I've lost two thirds of my body weight, you know. But no, you know, I've had worse. You know, we've had worse. You know, <laughs> what do you mean you've had yeah. worse? And then it's this this I I have a hard time. I that this Weimaraner that I adopted when am I saying it right? Yeah, how you say? He was eleven, and he he was so bonded with his owner. She she was anyway. Point is, is he just bonded with me immediately when I met him, and then after about six months, he developed lymphoma, and it was restricting his airway, and I just couldn't. And then I took him, and they said, "Well, we can give him less steroids, and it'll shrink that," or and they did. But then they wanted to do this chemotherapy, and I was just like, I don't know, man. He's 11 and a half. And I just think part of it was me. Like, I didn't have the tolerance to watch him linger and suffer, and I still have mixed feelings about putting him to sleep. But it is one of those hard things you can't know. We do our best. It's hard. We do our best, and and it's it's very difficult as a veterinarian. You know, I can't overstep. You know, it's, it's not up to me what they, you know, unless it's obviously cruel, you know, or, or yeah. just so crazy, you know, I mean, yeah. you know, I, you know, I just, I'm sure you've dealt with a lot of crazies. We, we see mental illness. We see hoarding, mm. you know, people with 50 cats. Oh, right. You know, and then like they that. get that ammonia and, and intoxicate and neurotoxins. Yeah. And they're, they're just, you know, how many cats do you have? Uh, two. I don't think so. You know, it seemed like, We've got records here for f- five or six cats we've seen in the last year with you. You know, well, I find them. You know, you find, yeah. them, you find them. And then the police call and go, you know, we went to that woman's house and the neighbors complained about the smell. You know, it was one of those. Oh, that it. ammonia. Yeah, and there was, you know, there was 40 or 50 cats, you know. Wow. You know, and, and it just gets away from them, you know, and, and it's it's some form of mel- mental illness, you know, yeah. where they are hoarders and. You know, I don't know why I'm a little tickled by it. It just gets away from them. <laughs> no, they don't. They don't get away from them. They try. Well, well the, the whole thing. <laughs> no, no, I know I what mean, you meant, but I'm like. they don't have enough food. Dude, I mean, like, what, the, what, what, know. what, what's a, let's, let's throw out a random number that is like over the line. You know, like when you, if you have more than. Well, that's right. That's my, this is my father's thing. <laughs> Before my father died, he would come with me and work on Sundays. So he would stay in the back and he, but he could hear the people. And you go, Kevin, what? What number would make a woman like a crazy old cat woman? <laughs> yeah. Well, would it would it be three? <laughs> She's got more than three. Is she three? Would it be three, or would it be? Uh, well, I guess she could have four if she could take care of them at a big enough place. And once you get into five and six cats, you know, this woman one time brought this mouse, and she said, you know, and my fellow here, she goes, "This mouse is my best friend." Aww. And you know, and, and she let the mouse, you know, run on her hand, and it's my best friend. So my the mouse had a tumor on his lip. I was going to do surgery, and and so give it a little gas and you know and take the thing off. And and uh, my father was in the back. He goes, "Did the woman say a rodent is her best friend? Is that what she just said?" 
Maybe she should join a book club. <laughs> yeah. You know, just you know, a rodent is. You know, so <laughs> although but, but, I can but, see but, it, but one person's I can see line a rodent. I is love another rodents. person's. One person yeah. ceiling, another person's floor. I right? am with you, man. I it, I don't know if you know this, but in this house that we're sitting in right now, I relocated thirty mice that found their way under these shelves into my house, and I finally got Jack Murphy out here, who is the beautiful mouse mitigator. He found the hole, sealed it up. But I, in the, you know, I drove them six miles. I would tell them the story of the country mouse, but I cannot, honestly, I could, I, I could let a cat kill it. I don't know why my dog killed a couple of mice, No, that's, that's, but I, I just was not. You're good hearted. Well, you I just don't, I, I just had the time that I could do it. Everybody knows that you got and, a big heart. And then the landlord here, she's like, just poison him. I'm like, but then that poisons the hawks. And I read all this stuff about the owls are, go, you know, in right. Canada have that's all right. the, the, whatever that decon, you know, blood thinner, they have it in their livers. It's, it's killing a bunch of animals. People don't know. Just don't, don't go to the pet store and go get decon or whatever. I think it's okay. My house in Denver was empty for three years. The old, old people had gone to the uh, rainbow old, bridge old folks home. <laughs> oh, and they kept thinking they were going to get better and be able to come back. Oh, so, so finally the sun said, you know, I'm going to sell that house to you. But the squirrels had taken oh, over. Yeah. So, so I, I was sitting and eating breakfast the first Saturday. I lived there. I was eating my cereal. There was a hole in the ceiling. I wanted to get it fixed. You know, I was looking at all the things I, all the things I got to do with this place. And, and so this head came out of this hole. And it was a squirrel. And yeah. it was yelling at me like, hey, this is where we live. What are you doing here? You know, this is a squirrel place. And I ran upstairs. And he went up into the attic. I opened the little latch to look in the attic. And there were babies and old ones and dead oh, ones. Yeah. And they had eaten through the eaves. So and my brother at the time had a, a pellet gun. Oh, no. And he said, what you got to do here is you got to shoot these with a pellet gun. So I was walking around outside. And there was this old lady next door. that She's gone now. But she was my next door neighbor. And she goes, Dr. Fitzgerald, you aren't going to shoot the squirrels, are you? And I go, oh, no, no, no. This is an electron detector. You know, electrons, uh, uh, they, they leak out of the electricity in your, your, you know, your outlets. And uh, you, electrons don't smell and they aren't colored, so you can't see or smell them. Uh, so you point this and it tells you. And she goes, oh, can you come over and check my electrons? Oh, sure. Went over and pointed this gun at her outlet. You know, or you're fine. You're fine, Madge. Man. You got no problem. You know, so I couldn't do it. So I hired this guy. Like you. <laughs> but like, I was just thinking, like, what are your, you know, your family lied to you so much that that's just a way of dealing with stuff. You know, like, oh no, that wasn't Sam. You know. Yeah. yeah. Or, so, but, but and so, but I couldn't tell her. You know, my, my brother got me this gun. So, so I, you know, I never even shot it. So I hired animal relocators and it was this guy and he and his son came and they were really serious and they had these baseball caps on with squirrels uh, tails off the back you know and and so they caught 17 of them and and they they used live traps i made them use live traps and they used uh almonds and peanut butter he goes they can't they just can't uh refuse resist it yeah they can't resist almonds yeah so so i go hey you know, Jack, tell, tell me, what do you do with them? He goes, what do you want me to tell you I do with them? Want me to tell you I drown them? I want you to tell you that I send them to dental school. He goes, they make wonderful dentists. I go, dental school. He goes, oh, yeah, they do great. Uh-huh. Some of those people are like that, that they aren't. Like you said, they have squirrel tail. Oh, I'm in this Yeah, guy. but I'm telling you, I'm going to put a plug in for Jack Murphy, and I'll put his contact information. He's the real deal, and he doesn't do stuff like that, and he blocks them from coming in your house, first of all, and then... 
I mean, he t- we do the best we can. And but he does say, you know, co- coexisting is one thing, cohabitating is another, and you don't have to cohabitate with rodents. And it is difficult balance trying to deal with these. Now, coexisting on Earth, let's talk about the big issue globally, animal extinction, Kevin. What? Well, I mean, we talked about some things that make us sad. <clears throat> the loss of a pet, grief over that. Yeah, and it is okay to grieve. I know you said you don't like your clients to feel sad, but well, that's, I, part, well, that's a healthy part. part. Of it. It's part it's of it, but, but also I think I like them to focus on, you know, the good they did sure. and, and the joy that that animal brought you. And, and you know, and, but it's and, a huge and, and, loss. The, and the wonderful house you provided, and the wonderful home you provided, and to just tell them not have the guilt. Maybe and, you're thinking, and, don't and, feel guilty and, rather than yeah, not don't to feel, feel guilty, guilty about. You're putting not going to let you beat yourself up about yeah, this. Yeah, but it's okay and to grieve. It's okay. It's sad. totally okay to you grieve. You have to, yeah. It, it, but they're always in your heart. They're never very far away, mm. and you're always going to get that twinge when you think about them, mm. and that's okay. But it's not okay to. Oh, I could have, you know, maybe we should have. I mean, you can what if yourself to death, you know, and, and that's not right. And you can't let them do it. I don't let them do it. I, I said, you know what? Look at this record. Look how many times I've seen you with this dog. You've taken care of him and, yeah. and gone without. It's so hard. And, and, yeah. and, and you've done your best. You've done your best. And, and guess what? We get old. I wish my hair was still black. You know? Do you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, I never thought I'd be this old, you know. It's hard. It's hard. But, well, let's talk about it. So the, there's 10 million other forms of life on the planet besides us, right? Yeah. And and they're all deserving of a place at the table, you know? The extinction rate right now is 100 times what it was before there were humans. And we think by 2050 it might be 1,000 times what it was before there were humans. Wow. So, so, I mean, each species, no matter how humble and inconspicuous, is a, a masterpiece of evolution to get there. Yeah. You know, to, to survive. So I, I think when a, a species becomes extinct, the world becomes a less interesting place. You know, I mean, I mean, you know, these things make us, we were given this wonderful biodiversity in our intellect and all the other animals are waiting for us to use our intellect and save the place and we're letting them down. Because yeah. if you look at people, what we are is, you know, we, we've got this Stone Age emotion and you know, and and we, we we've got uh, space age technology. You know, so yeah. You know, well, so. The, it's that it's that balance of intellect with wisdom, yeah. and we're not seeing the big picture. Yeah. So you know, we we always worried about evolving from nature, you know, and coming up. But we should really try to ascend to nature because we're part of it. You know, mm. and we don't see that. Beautiful. And, and I love so, that so, statement. I want to just be with that for a second. <laughs> ascend to nature the intelligence <laughs> yeah. of nature yeah thank and, you and so I mean, we're, we're we're part of it so i think the the things that that get me is uh if we look at um humans for the first time have become a geophysical force with light pollution you know where there's so much light worldwide that some of the bacteria that need the darkness to you know to release oxygen can't do it Oh, I've you know, so so I mean, there's I mean, so we've become a we've become a physical force, you know, and, and with our uh, pollutants and and you know, and, and I, I think that if we look at that's the first can I, and I'm I, we don't have to rush through this. Yeah. I really want to understand this: the bacteria that need the dark to survive. Tell me more about that. Some of the phytoplankton and stuff that live in the ocean need darkness to produce oxygen. Oh, and and it, and it, if you look at pictures of the world at night 
There's not very many dark places anymore. Yeah, <laughs> you know, there's yeah. Uh, just, you but know, even in the ocean, do you? Yeah, yeah, well, well it, as we come close and so cl- closer to shore. Well, you know? also with the bird migration, light pollution yeah. messes them up. And then I do, I wonder about even leaving my porch light on at night and I have these plants and I think, don't they need to rest? Don't the, don't, what about the, you know, right, what, right. but I know you're talking, we're talking more about biodiversity, so I don't yeah, want to get no, into no, the right. botany. But, but I mean, but, it, I mean, the challenge of, of this the, nature. Nathaniel, right? Yeah, yeah, my son. The challenge of his generation is going to be how do we continue to raise the standard of living? Without wrecking the place, I know. <laughs> you know, and you know we want we, uh, you know, I mean, not everybody's going to be able to have an SUV. You know, we got India coming on, and a middle class in China, and and people, you know, so it's tough. What we've seen with with animals is a scene. Um, Eo Wilson called it hippo. Uh, the H is habitat destruction, and the I is invasive species that have moved in and outcompete the normal species and and destroy it. You know, one of the P's is is uh, is pollution. The other P is is population, and then the O is over harvesting, over over hunting, over uh, you know, I mean, over fishing. You, you know, I, I think when I, I went to Antarctica and we saw these ships the Japanese have, and they they do long line fishing because they don't let them use these big drift nets anymore that went down the ocean floor and just dragged the whole thing and ca- caught everything. But they use long line. And it has 10,000 hooks and it catches everything, oh, you know, it catches. Yeah. And, and so, but they're only, we're, we're so crazy. People are so crazy. You know, we, we got this medieval mindset, you know, well, we're people and we deserve it, you know. And, and, and so, but we're only after five fish, you know, we only eat, uh, you know, salmon and, and bass. We eat uh, tuna and, and, you know, cod, you know, and, and we eat swordfish to a little bit. And, and, and so, you know, I mean, there's there's hundreds of fish we could be eating that are good for us, but they overfish these ones, and they have, so they they catch the fish that they want. They they know the migrations of the fish, and knowing they're going to be in these big schools, and they got these fish finders with computers, and then they got these uh, things with ten thousand yeah. hooks, and they rebait it every sixteen hours. Ah, uh. you know, so so they're rebaited and then put back out. But they catch the albatross, you know, the birds see the little thing. Yeah. It's only it's only three inches under the water. And they, they catch turtles and they catch, you know, seals and whales. Just heartbreaking, so heartbreaking. We see that kind of stuff. But the good news is there's enough of us that are speaking up. It used to be the conservationists were tree huggers and, you know, old ladies with, you know, smelly peasant dresses and Birkenstocks. <laughs> But, but smelly <laughs> peasant dresses. Those <laughs> and, are my and, people and you're talking like, about. But they were right. Yeah, they were right. <laughs> they, they were right. And we need to and start. We need to give, give them, them. Yeah, we give them their due. And, and <laughs> a t- so, yeah, yeah, tip of the tip hat. Of the hat to them because yeah. because now it was a trickle, but now it's a torrent, and and yeah. people are, are getting you know. And there's so much you can do. You know, you can join things. You can act. Try and act uh, locally, or yeah. you could act. Uh, nationally, or you got globally, you know, and, yeah. and so you can donate money, you can donate time. I tried a little thing in my neighborhood on Saturday mornings where you get up and and uh, take the dog and go for a walk and take a trash bag and, and go maybe half a mile south on University where I live and pick up trash. So I was on this guy's lawn and he said, what are you doing on my lawn? I go, I'm picking up trash that people throw out of the cars. He goes, what are you doing? I go, well, I'm old and I need exercise. So I walk my dog. He needs, she needs yeah. exercise. And I pick up the trash. He goes, 
wait a minute, I'll get my dog. <laughs> so some of these people come with some me. Companionship. So, so I mean, there's things you can do locally. There's things. Well, I'm on the board at the Denver Zoo, and and you know, and the, the wonderful conservation things the zoo does. You know, eat locally, uh, the wonderful boreal toads that sing at night when you camp and you hear them singing were, were going extinct and they couldn't find it, and so they bred. Uh, babies thousands of babies at the zoo and we released them and now this summer we're finding them again you know in these places so oh, that's so, great. so there's there's things that can be done there's things that can be done and you i mean this is something that is people don't like to hear about because we are very attached to being meat eaters but man i mean i everything i read is the best thing you can do to lower your carbon footprint on earth and overfishing they're feeding fish to cows you know to cattle and it's like the, one of the best things we can do is eat a plant-based diet or predominantly a plant-based diet. I don't know how you feel about it, well, no, of but there's a lot of research it's, out there. It's, it's healthier. It's healthier. It's not sure. just about for me. And, I'm talking and, about for the planet. And for the planet. But I mean, there's, there's reasons for you and, and certainly reasons for the planet. I mean, we, there's too many of us, you know, and we can't continue to, you know, feed, feed the cattle, you know, things that, that we could be using for people. And so, you know, I, I it uses a lot uh, more you know, water. I, I was worried. I was worried. You know, I've always said, talking to my friends that are virologists, they, they said, you know, this guy told me there's something big coming. It's animal related. It's going to be animal related. Bats, bats probably, and and sure enough, you know, and and uh, you know, that's from encroaching the, on their territory. When when other species get so crowded, there's natural checks and balances that happen to squash them down yeah. and get them down. So. What people don't realize is since 2000, there's been seven pandemics. You know, we had West Nile in 2000. Yeah. We had SARS-1 in 2002. We had MERS, the Mediterranean virus, in 2003. We had H1N1, right, mm -hmm. 2004. Then we had Ebola. Then we had Zika. And now we got COVID, you know. So, and, and my buddy is at the CDC said, this isn't the big one. Uh-huh. You know, and, wow. and, and, he, and he said, there's, there's going to be a flu that's worse. And you know another flu virus that is 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 worse than this one that is going to be migratory birds it won't just be bats and, uh -huh. and, you know the birds that go from Asia to Europe to, you know and we're, and we're such a global community now you know you go to do comedy in Seattle and you jump on the airplane right and somebody sitting next to you that flew all night it has just come from Tokyo you know and and you know you shake hands and you start talking and you, you know you borrow his panda write down your address and, you know, and, oh, yeah, keep in touch with me, you know, come see my comedy, you know, <laughs> and, and, you know. I, I'm a germaphobe, so I'm, I'm hand, but. Knows. Well, I mean, <laughs> I mean. Uh, but, no, you I can't mean, help you know, but it, share. It, it, we're it, exchanging it, air molecule. We're exchanging molecules. Well, hopefully your immune system's enough, but, but I mean, people are right. I mean, uh, during during COVID, I, I mean, if we look at how many people died, I mean, it, it just, you know, and it wasn't, you know, people tell me, you know, this, this was a, a hoax or this was, you know, and the conspiracy people, you know, I mean, yeah, you're in, involved to your, you're in, entitled to your own opinions, but not your own facts. And, you know, I think. Hey, and, but this brings us back to traumedy because I'm studying therapeutic humor and I have peer reviewed articles that cite when we laugh. I was talking about this last night and I loved your joke is like, if you don't laugh, the virus wins. <laughs> and I think that's intuitively saying what ther what the peer reviewed <clears throat> viruses are, I mean, the peer-reviewed articles are saying, which is when we laugh, I think we evolved with humor as part of the reward circuitry to say, hey, we just survived almost, you know, that, that tiger almost got us, but we survived. And there's this laughter after you survived the threat signals the body, the threat has passed. It lowers the stress hormones in your body, which 
invites the immune system forward. Because when you're in fight or flight, freeze, fawn, your immune system is suppressed. And you don't function the same way. And there are peer-reviewed studies that show the NK cells, the natural killer cells, that are always scanning your body for what you just mentioned, for your immunity, to take out those viruses before they can take hold. When we laugh... Though there, we have more of the natural killer cells. I got a chapter. So we have got to keep laughing, I, even though there's dismal news. Right. You know well, what I mean? There's, there's a lot of good news. I got a chapter about that in my book about about uh, the, the physiology of comedy and, and uh, of laughing. Yeah. You know, and babies laugh hundreds of times a day. Yeah. Children and, and laugh smile. like three to four hundred times yeah. a day. And, and, and as we get older... We don't laugh as much. No, it's like 10, you know, 10 times a day if you're lucky. And so I just remember when I was in Boulder as a kid, a student, it was Ram Dass, you know. I love Ram Dass. And and he was like, you have to laugh for five minutes every day. So these people would sit and laugh and they would, you know, you'd walk by, they were sitting out. Yeah, there's laughing yoga. In front of Northern Library and they're all, you know, and there'd be 20 people laughing and you just go, is my fly down? Where are they? (laughs) Yeah. You know, but they weren't laughing at me. Yeah. They were with their instructor, you know, and and so, uh, yeah, no, there's there's good reasons. Yeah, there's laughing yoga, which is, uh, it it, it gets those, but also humor. There's a difference between laughter and humor, but there's the combination. But even just thinking a funny thought relieves your relieves your body of that feeling of stress. If you can just, even if it's to yourself, like you're in the middle of surgery, Kevin, and it's like, oh, I'm kind of stressed out. You can just picture this funny, whatever it is that makes you chuckle inside, and you actually can convert your body into a state of homeostasis. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Well, shoot, it's an hour yeah, and we, 10 minutes. This was wonderful. I know, I don't know. we're going to we have didn't. to have part. We're we going to have to, ha- I know. Do, Sorry. I didn't do any of my things. I didn't do. Well, let's, okay. What is it you want to, well, let me. Well, yeah. what I'd like to say is. Yeah, let's you know, make it's, sure it's you a minute, get a chance. It's a minute to midnight for some of these conservation things we talked about. Oh, and there's yeah. Still, there's still stuff people can do. Yeah. You know, and we're not done yet, you know, and so I, th- I think, you know, in, in conservation, our successes are temporary. But our failures are permanent. Oh, you know? that's really philosophical. <laughs> so, so, I love your you philosophical know, statement. And, and so, uh, yeah. So, th- but what can we do? You know, two things. You know, three things: it, volunteer, and, and give money, donate, those types of things. But if people would be smart to conservation, you it, mean? Yeah, and then a, a half Earth where they would donate. You know, the the existing wilderness and protect it. And, you know, just say, look, we're going to keep in the cities. We're going to keep building it better here. But we're going to set this aside and protect it. You know, protecting the Amazon and protecting the Canadian wilderness and protecting wilderness in the United States, which is smaller and smaller. And, and so, you know, that, that's an idea. Or, or a species royalty. I, you know, went to Namibia last year to uh, look at the cheetahs. And, and there's only 4,000 cheetahs left in nature. And, and so they're used, they're wonderful coats for the, the, the fashion industry, you know, and for patterns. And yeah. even, even if they don't use their coat, they use the pattern. And so for so many animals are used in uh, PR campaigns or as a slogan or as a logo or as a mascot, you know. So I've got to thinking if you use an animal in a PR campaign, then you should use a species royalty. Like if you use my poem or my song you have to pay me a royalty oh i like so that we, so if we went to pay Co- species royalties <laughs> so, so if we went to coca-cola and said look you use polar bears in, in your ads and one percent of your profit 
should go to protection of habitat for polar bears. You know, I mean, it's a species yeah. royalty because you're using them. You know, it's, oh, I love that. You know, so I think that's I brilliant. I don't know. Get that going. <laughs> hey, everybody, ever, let's start that campaign. <laughs> okay. I love that. Thank you for having me. Thank you for sharing all that you have and letting me share a little bit with you because this is what it is. I call this peer to peer learning. You have a lot of expertise in this area, and I have anecdotal evidence and a little bit of peer-reviewed studies. But I think the more we share from our hearts, from our minds, from our spirit, when we, I, when we, when we, we will grow wisdom. Right. When we know better, we do better. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When we know better, we do better. Thank you, Kevin. Thank you for having me. I want to thank my guest, Dr. Kevin Fitzgerald. Watch for his book coming out soon. You can connect with Kevin at drkevinfitzgerald.com. I want to thank my son for putting together all the music for Traumedy. And I want to thank you, the listener, because you're the one that helps heal me by offering to be a guest on Traumedy. So I want to start a new thing, which is I want you to phone in. I want you to phone in a trauma that you're ready to laugh about. Like you're ready to try and find something funny about it or you want help looking at this in a lighter way. So I would like to take some calls, uh, which is uh, you can leave me a message on my speak pipe. I will put a link to my speak pipe in the show notes and you can just click on that and leave me a message. And I would love it if uh, we could help you transmute some of your trauma with comedy thanks again for listening tune in every tuesday a new episode of traumedy traumedy tuesdays no matter what keep laughing